Hey guys. How art thou? No, you got to say thou art well or goodest. Get your King James right, you know? All right. I apologize for that already. Hey, Pastor Brian here. Welcome to the Rock Church. If you are new, uh, we love Jesus a whole lot. If you did not already hear, um, why don't you guys hold on, do me a solid really quick and give it up for the youth group one more time. Leading you in worship. It's so cute and beautiful and they're excellent. Oh my goodness. We are so spoiled here with talent of music here at the Rock Church. That was such a sweet experience. Um, so if you have a Bible, would you please open it to Romans chapter 12? That is where we will be this weekend. And this weekend, we are beginning the final installment, or you could say the fifth season of our study through the letter to the church in Rome, or in your Bible, it's called the letter to the Romans. As you see here, we've broken down this letter into five seasons, and we are finally to season five, which we have appropriately titled God's service. And that's because right here in chapter 12, we see this huge turning point in this letter. For 11 chapters, we've been given this incredible, heavy, rich, weighty, beautiful, deep theology and doctrine about who God is and what he has done and who is mankind and what we have done. And then Jesus Christ and the person and work of Jesus. And what does that mean for us? And what does that mean for the unbelieving world? And it's been amazing. But now here in chapter 12, verse 1, we have this shift. Through the rest of this letter, the Apostle Paul is done. He's taken us through lots of the theological and the doctrinal. Now he's moving us to the personal and the applicable. For the remaining four chapters in this letter, Paul's going to be giving us instruction on how we Christians are to live and respond in this world towards God, how we are to view ourselves, how are we to view the church, how are we to view the lost, the unbelieving world. And then we'll get into even how we treat and deal and respond to rulers and authorities and government and all of these great, awesome, practical tips and tricks by the power of the Holy Spirit to help equip you, Christian, to be the living sacrifices that God has called us to be in a world that is just spiraling out of control. And so we've got two verses today. Amen. Can you believe that? I am so excited. I've only got two verses, and I promise you, y'all ain't getting out of here on time. So if you had dinner plans, bump them. And today, in these two verses, I would argue, well, I guess I wouldn't argue, but I would say the Apostle Paul here in these two verses gives us a pretty incredible summary of the Christian faith. And I want you to consider this question. If you want, I would love for you to write this down in your journal. You could take a picture of that. You can throw that as a screensaver on your phone. I'd love for you to come back to this question every day, every week when we come to church. I want you to think about this. This is going to be relevant every week when you come here and hear the preaching of the word. But the question I ask you today is, what difference does being a Christian make in your day-to-day life? How do I live my day-to-day life in response and in light to everything that God has done, everything we have read and studied over the last 11 chapters in Romans? Or another way you could ask this question is, why do you obey? What motivates you to obey the Lord Jesus Christ? That's a loaded question to ask you. 
And I believe Paul's going to give us an answer to that in our text. So if you would, you could read with me. We are in Romans chapter 12, just verses 1 and 2. Can you believe it? What a good day. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not, do not be conformed to this world, or your translation may say to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. The title for our sermon this weekend is Rebels with a Cause, Living Sacrifices in a Dying World. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, I pray right now in this moment that you would meet us here as we come to your word. Would you speak to us? Would you reveal to us more of your beauty and your glory? Would you help us see Jesus Christ as more beautiful? Would you help us to see who we are as living sacrifices in this broken world? What does that mean for us to look different? God, I need your help to do that. Lord, I ask that you would speak through me, a vessel of your mercy, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, Jesus Christ, would be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock, you are our refuge, who we trust and love. And all God's children said, amen. amen. If you'd like to follow along, you got a little handout here that'll keep you awake during this. First big idea and the answer to our question, why do we obey? God's mercy. That is the motivation to obey. You notice the first thing in verse one, Paul says here is, I appeal to you, therefore. So Paul is trying to get our attention. He's saying, depending on your translation, it might say, I urge you or I, I plead with you. But what he's doing, he's pleading. He's made this really big argument in case about this worldview, about following Jesus and what that looks like. And now he's like, I'm pleading with you, Christian. I'm appealing, I'm urging you to do something. What is that? present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So in other words, what Paul is saying here, he's saying, Christian, I'm pleading with you to worship and trust Jesus over everything. I'm pleading with you to treasure and cling and find your hope and joy in Jesus above everything. What we really call this, though, is obedience, don't we? And it's not like this thought has just come out of nowhere. Paul was just like on a tangent, and now he's just talking about obedience, right? No, he's been for 11 chapters, he's been building this case for us that Jesus Christ is worth everything. He's worth everything. And the response for the Christian is obedience. And Paul says, by the mercies of God. I like in the NIV, in the NIV it says, in view of God's mercy. When you're looking, when you're considering God's mercy, our response as believers should be willing and joyful obedience. You see, out of every argument that Paul could have made the case on why we obey, he sees that there is no greater incentive for us to live our lives as living sacrifices, to obey Jesus Christ in everything. No greater reason, no greater incentive for us to do that than because of his mercy towards us. Now, 
Let me just say this. I believe there are many wrong reasons that Christians obey the Lord Jesus Christ today. I'll give you a couple. If you obey God out of fear, if that is you today, if you think that your obedience is something that's mandatory or else you're going to suffer some sort of consequence, I hope you understand that is not biblical. When your obedience is out of fear, then it's not out of love and it's not out of grace and that will destroy you. That's gonna affect how you see yourself, how you see others and how you see God, how you communicate, how you approach him, how you cry out to him, how you confess to him, how you find confidence and restoration in him. When you're approaching the Lord with fear and shame, thinking that there is a line in the sand when you sin and every time you sin, you cross it and you've now lost his mercy and grace and you forfeited forgiveness and now his wrath is upon you again, that is fear and that is not the biblical Christ. In Romans chapter two, do you remember what it says to lead us to repentance? Romans chapter two, look it up. It says, God's kindness should lead you to repentance. Well, but I know there are some in this room today who obey out of fear. I'm warning you, if you haven't already, you will lose every ounce of joy that's in the gospel. Another bad, wrong reason to obey is because of superstition or prosperity or personal gain. For example, if I obey and follow these specific rules and rituals and I say and I don't say and I act and I do certain things, that's gonna bring good luck and therefore great outcomes. If I don't do this and then I start doing this, then God has to kind of obey me because I'm, hey, I'm telling him, I'm meeting him halfway and telling him, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. You see, when obedience is contingent upon personal success and prosperity, then you are going to see all of life's circumstances through a broken lens. And then when life gets hard, when you're bombarded with these thoughts of like, hmm, well, I must have done something to deserve this. Or, well, I did this and I'd slipped in 10 bucks and this problem didn't go away, so therefore God must be punishing me. Or, hey, I did this and I didn't do that and this still happens, so that's not fair. When your obedience and your rule keeping is based on performance and reward, then it's going to be impossible for you to endure and keep your faith when real life hits you, right? Like when trials or suffering or sickness and death or unemployment hits you. When my obedience is based on how I can convince God to do something for me, that's not faith. That's superstition. That's crap called law of attraction. That's a genie in a bottle. That is not the God of the Bible, okay? We are called to live and act a certain way, but it's not because of fear or shame or hopes of providential blessings at every turn. So why, why do we obey? The Bible gives us a very clear answer because of his mercy. God's mercy is our motivation to obey. If you remember the last few chapters, the last eight or nine weeks or so that we've been in Romans, you will notice that one of the big themes in Romans is God's mercy. If you flip back over to chapter nine, look at this, verse 18, he has mercy on whom he wills. Verse 23, we are vessels of his mercy. Chapter 11, verse 
30, we've received mercy. The mercy shown to us is the mercy he shows to take God's mercy towards us. I mean, just over and over again, he's been unpacking. Paul has been telling us God's mercy. That's what the therefore means here because of what Christ has done for us. Chapters 1 through 11, Paul's been teaching us for the last year here the big thing that Jesus Christ lived and died to save us. We are forgiven and reconciled and justified by faith alone. Paul thinks there is no greater incentive for us now than to live lives of obedience than because of God's mercy. And only with a right view of mercy will that inspire us to willingly obey and follow Jesus in everything. And so this is where we go next because of God's mercies. Paul urges us to do something again, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, what does that mean? How do I do that? Doesn't sacrifice mean like something has to die? How am I a living, dying thing? That doesn't make sense. I'm glad you asked. This is the life that obeys and follows Jesus in everything. Jesus says it this way, pick up your cross and follow me. So our second big idea, God's son is our example to follow. So in response to everything that Jesus has done, we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices. But first, did you know that there's a Christian heavy metal band called Living Sacrifice? Did anybody know that? One person, two people. Okay, praise God, you're my favorites. So I was not a Christian for a whole lot of years. And I listened to this band called Living Sacrifice for a bunch of years, never once considering what their name meant whatsoever. And then when I became a Christian person and I came to this letter to the Romans and I got to Romans chapter 12 for the first time, and then I saw a living sacrifice and this light bulb went off, I went, no way. You mean that Christian heavy metal band got their name from the Bible, which most metal bands get their themes from the Bible anyways. But you know how awesome that was for me? has absolutely nothing to do with the sermon. I just wanted to share this with you. <laughs> this is your homework today. I was showing my kids on the way to church. I was like, this is living sacrifice. These guys rock for the Lord hard. And my boy was like, we should play this at church. <laughs> and I was like, Ye good luck, bro. <laughs> Anyways, that blessed me as a metal kid getting saved, meeting Jesus, seeing that Metalheads are called to be living sacrifices. And I said, amen, I'm in. So living sacrifice. What Paul is saying here is he's connecting something. There's this thing that happened in the Old Testament, the Day of Atonement and the sin offerings. And there was an animal sacrifice that would take place. And that's worth unpacking for a moment for us to understand this. Because in the Old Testament, there was this sacrificial offering. And what it did is it involved this vulnerable, spotless, uh, innocent animal that was taken to the priest that was taken to the temple. And this animal <coughs> was ripped apart and slaughtered in blood everywhere. And what it re represented is that our sin is disgusting and it's very offensive to a holy God. And God has to crush sin. And this animal's blood being poured out is repulsive. That's how God sees our sin. And God demands atonement for sin. So when this animal's blood was poured out, it temporarily covered the sin sins of the people. 
Now, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came into the world, the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ offered himself, his life, as a sacrifice, as an atonement for us in our place on the cross, providing that perfect and final sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins forever. So now what does that have to do for us who believe and trust in the person and work of Jesus? Paul has been telling us for 11 chapters about the work of Christ. He's been unpacking this greatness about who Jesus Christ and what he has done and how he has poured out his entire life for us. So now us, Paul says, therefore, our response is to pour out, give up, offer up our life, everything, mind, soul, spirit, passions, and body like we see here. We give it to the Lord like a living sacrifice. We say, Jesus, you have all of it. And what Paul is saying here is a living sacrifice is there is no sacrifice for sin anymore. Christ died for sins once for all. So now our response is we give every day, every moment of our life to Jesus, not just an hour of my time on the weekend. Like how Tony Evans, Pastor Tony Evans says it this way, the living sacrifice is not a one-time offering, but a daily commitment to surrender our will to God's will. I like that. Or to say it another way, what Paul is telling us, what the Holy Spirit is telling us here is God, Jesus Christ is saying, I do not just want some of your life, I want all of it. When Christ came into the world and he went to the cross, he did not come to live and die for an hour of your time on Sunday. He did not live and die for an hour of your time on the weekend or for six minutes, if you're lucky, on the Bible app before you get distracted with Instagram. He offered up his life as a sacrifice totally and wholly and fully for all of your life, every moment of it, because of his mercy. And now being a living sacrifice for us, it means that every aspect of my life should be this willing, joyful, Mercy responding, offering to God. This is really a surrendering to the Lord, right? Because of everything that I have received from him. And this is not miserable. I love how Elizabeth Elliot says it. She says it this way. When we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, we discover that surrendering to God is not losing, right? That's what we often think. Oh, I'm a Christian and now everything's just lame and I can't have any fun. And now God's saying he doesn't want me to do bad stuff with my body. This is bad. That's so dumb if you think that. That's not true. It's, you're not losing anything. You're actually gaining everything that was destroying. Everything that was destroying you, God has rescued you from. So it's not slavery. It's not bondage. It's actually liberation. Being able to give God everything and say, God, do something better with this than what I'm about to do. Because look at me, I'm, I'm a fool. I don't want to be a slave to that. So I give it to you because I can find freedom. Jesus gave everything for you, beloved. He says, your life came at a big cost for me. I don't just want a nook of your life. I don't want just a moment of your life. I want all of it. And that's a big ask, isn't it? That's a big demand. Jesus says, I want everything. 
So I ask you, have you given the Lord your whole life? Now, beloved, I'm not, this is not an altar call to the unbeliever. Christian, I'm talking to you. Is there an area of your life that's off limits to the Lord today? Do you dare ask him to reveal that to you, what that is? That you were just, you will not surrender to him? Do you know what it is that you will not sacrifice? You won't give away to the Lord? Maybe he would expose, if you're honest, if you'll meet him there, that you, what you haven't handed, what you haven't sacrificed over to him is your pride and your unforgiveness and your bitterness and your division. Maybe it's your anger. Maybe you'd expose that what you haven't sacrificed and offered up to him is your sexual sin, your girlfriend who's not your wife or your boyfriend who's not your husband. What you got behind the passcode of that phone of yours, you're not willing to hand to the Lord. Maybe there's an area you just don't trust him with. Maybe it's your money. Maybe it's your mental health. It's, it, maybe it's your, it's your fears. Maybe it's your addictions. It's something that you value so much or it's something that is so big that you're scared to hand off. It's something that you fear so much that you cannot trust Jesus to hold. Paul, the Holy Spirit through Paul is pleading with us to consider God's mercies, consider everything that Jesus Christ has done and whatever. Sorry, I was just trying to put my hands behind my back. <laughs> the Lord's getting your attention. Whatever it is that you have behind your back, <laughs> he gave you time to think about what that was. <laughs> Whatever you won't hand to him, he's saying, give that to me. I lived for you. I died for you. Get that out of your hands. Hand it to me. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice that there's no nook or cranny in my life that the Lord cannot have control or say over. I've given it to him. Or the way that Paul says it beautifully in Galatians chapter two, if you're looking to do memory madness, find the memory madness, sec the verses that has this, or memorize this one, and I'll give you a dollar. Well, somebody, Josh will give you a dollar. <laughs> Listen to this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in this flesh. That's this body. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is what it means to be a living sacrifice. I respond to his mercies willingly and I offer up my life and I know it means costly obedience. I'm going to love the Lord, the God, my God, with my heart and my soul and my mind and my strength and my bodies because of his mercy, the life I now live in this flesh. I don't do that any longer. That's what it means. This life I now live in this flesh by faith. I live in the Son of God, by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and died for me. So therefore, I don't think like that anymore. I don't entertain that anymore. That's what a living sacrifice means. And God's Son, Jesus Christ, is our perfect example to follow. So moving on. When it comes to living these lives as sacrifices that are pleasing to the Lord. That is a response, ultimately a life of worship. It's going to be fueled 
by the transformation and the renewing of our minds. 20 minutes on one verse. That's so awesome. You're welcome. <laughs> I wish we could go longer. Third big idea this weekend is God's word transforms our minds. Verse 2 do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may be discerned what is the will of God, what is good, and what is acceptable and perfect. So the way that we live and act in these bodies is directly connected to what we absorb and we believe in our minds, doesn't it? Just like if you had great plans to get yourself to the gym and lose a few LBs and gain some mass, you don't just wake up there. You have to make some decisions. I'm going to set an alarm. I'm going to set another alarm. I'm really going to get up and drive myself to the gym. <laughs> you have to mentally get there, right? So that's what Paul is saying here. He's bringing to the attention this fact that there's this pattern and there's this molding and there's this transforming happening in the unbelieving world. And instead, we as believers are to live and act differently. And he says that's going to be how we live and how we act in this world is going to be directly connected to what we believe, what we think, what we absorb, what is consuming our mind and our thoughts. And we're given two commands here. Do not conform and be transformed. And then you see the result is this is what God will do. You will be transformed new minds. You will be able to discern what is the will of God, what is, what is the will of God. <laughs> I can know God's will. I can come to God's, God's given me a book and I can know his will. Oh, are you kidding me? Sign me up. In addition to that, by testing, I'll be able to discern. I'll be able to know what's right and what's wrong. I'll be able to know what's the will of God, what is good, what is wrong, what is acceptable, what is not acceptable, what is perfect and holy, and what is yucky and gross and I need to run away from, Right? Or in other words, what this is saying is, do not conform. It says, do not let the world squeeze you in its box. And by world, what we mean here is that the unbelieving world, right? The culture, uh, the mentality, the way of thinking of a godless culture that's just totally hostile towards God. In 1 John chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, or Apostle John says it the same way. He says, do not for all, what is it? For all that is in the world, the pride of life, the pride of the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life is not is from the world. It is not from the Father. Same thing here. There's this war going on in the world for your minds. If we can get your mind, if we can convert your mind, it'll change everything you believe and everything you do in this world. And we are to live in a completely different worldview. So that's one, do not conform. And then two, be transformed by the renewal, the renewal of your mind. Or again, so how I live, how I act, what I do, what I don't do is going to start with what I believe is true. Now, if you remember in, John, or in Romans chapter one, if you go to Romans one, if you remember, we used to be a people who we did not have transformed minds. We were not daily being renewed by the spirit of God we are these people who are darkened and deceived. Like Romans 1, verse 18, we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We shoved the truth down and didn't want to believe. We suppressed it. <laughs> verse 21, we knew God, but we did not honor him or give thanks to him. We were futile in our thinking. That means worthless in our thinking. 
That's who we were. We claim to be wise, but we were fools. Verse 25, we exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Verse 28, we had debased minds. That means immoral, but that's not who we are now. We're a new people. We're new creations. We are alive in Christ. So we now must not allow the foolishness of the world to reshape our way of thinking. Why? Because of God's mercies. Everything has changed when we came to know Jesus, my affections towards Jesus. You see, the gospel, once believed, changes a person, our physical, our spiritual, our eternal lives are forever changed. We've been born again. God's spirit is now in me. He's changing not just what I physically do in this body, not just my heart and my desires, like, but verse 2 suggests here, he's renewing and he's transforming my brain. God's resetting my brain every day. He's like, oh, you got a bunch of garbage in there. Let's just go ahead and control out, delete all of that. You need a new brain today. And then do not be conformed to this world. Conform just means simply to comply or to abide by, or to obey. You live in a world that wants your allegiance. It wants you to obey, and that'll come at a cost. It expects your compliance, pressures and pushes you to bend and align with their convictions and to water down and buckle on yours. God's word says to us here, we do not conform to the patterns of this world that is just spiraling out of control. And now, when I think of this word conformity, bear with me for a minute, <coughs> the first thing that comes to my mind is the old school punk rockers. Any of y'all old school punk rockers in this room? Been redeemed by the blood? Still got a little punk rock in you? Amen. <coughs> uh, so the punk rock movement... In the 70s and 80s is when it was pretty impressive. It's kind of poser culture nowadays, but uh, that's just me. It was all about anti-establishment, rebelling against the social norm and non-conforming to those phonies who are telling me to get a job, man. <laughs> they lived this countercultural life that did not submit to the pressures of the conformity, that the conformists trying to hold them down. They talked about conformity a lot, rejecting the mainstream ideals of consumerism and the culture. And now what it looked like to the rest of the world was just a bunch of um, stinky, smelly-looking kids with ridiculous hairstyles and uh, playing pretty bad music together and <laughs> studded belts and piercings and tattoos all over their faces and stuff. But... That was exactly what they were going for. Do you see that? They wanted it to be unmistakable that they were not like you, you conformists. I don't want to be like you, old man. Here's you and here's me. Look at me with my pink hair and this tattoo of a skull on fire. Do you know what that means, old man? It means I'm not like you. I'm punk rock and I'm, I'm Doug and I'm out of here. Now, what does all of that have to do with you, Christian? Trust me, I'm getting there. Paul here, in a similar way, is saying that the Christians are to the world to look like the punk rockers of the 80s in a world that was constantly trying to conform them into their mold. The punk rockers said, no, 
Or think of it like this. Think about everything in the world today. Everything in our world today that's so cool and extreme and sexy and wild and rebellious, getting high, doing all the drugs, having all of the sex, wearing next to nothing, hooking up, hitting up the bars, laying your body down for any man or any woman. You're ignoring God, rejecting him, suppressing him, hating him, worshiping yourself, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your rock star, your athletes, live fast, die young, sex, drugs, rock and roll, baby. You know, I want to know the ironic thing about all of that in our world today, none of that is actually very rebellious at all. There's nothing punk rock about that. You know why? Everybody's doing it. You want to know what the most rebellious, non-conformist thing in the world is today? You want to be punk rock in 2024? You don't need to go get your nose pierced. I mean, you can if you want. Cool, whatever. You don't need to get any face. You don't need to get Tasmanian devil tattooed on your face. You don't need to dye your hair purple. Here's what you do. You want to be, you want to be a rebel? Read your Bible. Believe it. You love your spouse. You love your kids. You enjoy your spouse. You enjoy your wife for a lifetime. You go to church. You love other people. In our world today, being Christian is the most extreme, nonconformist punk rock movement on the planet. Do you believe when you come through these doors, when you walk into a local church on the weekend, I believe you are hanging out with the most punk rock against the culture, nonconforming people on the planet. Do you believe that? I do. The world thinks you're crazy. So God is calling you, Christian, to be the most rebellious, punk rock, non-conforming person in the most reverse and ironic way in our world today. So where do we go to be transformed? Where do we go to find that? Where do we go to be renewed? Where can I go to control, alt, delete all this garbage that I'm ingesting? We come to God and his word. God's word. Paul's telling us. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God has spoken here. He's renewing our minds and he's growing you in your wisdom and your discernment. And by testing, you will know the will of God, what is good and acceptable and what is perfect. Now, here's the tension in our lives with this thing is because we are prone to be led away to so many other things that are not of the Lord. Everywhere you look, everywhere you go, your children, your spouse, your friends, you're being bombarded with messages and advertisements and views that they want to draw you away from what you think is good and acceptable and true and adopt and be converted to their perspective and their agenda and their position. Our movies and our music and our entertainment and our podcast hosts and our politicians. With our phones, we have access to all of these things, right? Or do we dare say, they actually have all access to us. Everyone and anything informing you on what they think or what they say is better than what you have now. From your diet and your exercise to who to vote for and what to think about your gender and how to express yourself fully sexually and what flags to hang in your yard and which matching sticker to go on your car. Persuading you away from the truth of God's word to drink down and believe anything else, something better. From the moment you wake up, 
you grab it, your little side piece. You wake up, how well I miss you so much. I loved you so much. Tell me about everything that's happened. You go to brush your teeth. Well, tell me more about your day. You're getting dressed, you're, cha- you're showering somehow, and you're going to work and driving, and you're coming home, and before bed, I love you, I love you. Can... Our whole lives are just being, we're just being, we're just taking it. On Sunday, the Holy Spirit's going to convict you. You're going to get that little hour, how long you've been on your phone all week, and you just suppress it. You go, no, no, God, that's not true. I haven't been on my phone for nine hours every day. (laughs) Hours. You're just being fed and fed. And we are out of our minds if we think it's not being successful in recruiting and rewiring our own brains, distorting and confusing what we think is true and acceptable and worthy of praise. (laughs) God is speaking to us right now. Do not conform. Do not sell out. Do not give all of your time and your mental space to all of these things that aren't pleasing to the Lord that's just going to hell in a handbasket. Instead, come to God's word. Come to God's word and be transformed. And I just want you to know we are resolved here at the Rock Church. We are not going to conform to the pattern and the mold of this world. We are going to continue to be unapologetically biblical, It means we will love the snot out of everyone and serve and reason and respect all people from all walks of life, but we will not bend to the pressure of the unbelieving, cracking world. That means when it comes to your wife and your children and your future spouse and your husband and whatever walk of life, your marriage, your family, your gender, creation, sexuality, identity, sin, heaven, hell, tolerance, We will not conform. We will not buckle to the pressures and the agendas of the world. Now, listen, you're getting hours and hours of that stuff already, every day, competing for your affection. So for one hour a week, we're here to encourage you, to remind you that Jesus is worth so much more and that we're not going to budge on God's word. And now here's the sobering thought for us, because do we really believe that we come here for an hour a week, a 30 or 45 minute sermon that you already think is too long? Do we think that's going to stand up to the seven, eight hours a day of just onslaught of information and whatever it is that you're eating up? I mean, we believe, yes, we believe there's power in the word. We believe there's power in the preaching of God's word, but come on, do we really think 30 minutes of Bible preaching once a week and 10 minutes if you're really good reading your Bible a couple times a week That's going to stack up to the hours and hours of everything else we're just ingesting. You know what I think is plaguing the Christian church today? We have become content with being transformed and renewed by everything but God's word. Or let me say it like this. We are a people who are content with skipping leg day. You guys know what skipping leg day means? It's a joke. Pastor Josh sent that to me the other day. So I was like, oh, let's pray. I'm going to use that. I told him when I walked up here, I'm sorry in advance. So you go to the gym, you see Pastor Josh, you see the buff bros just stacked up top, right? They want the big arms and the big chest and the triceps and the delts and the belts and the, and they commit all of their time to achieving it. But leg day is the worst, so they just skip it. And then what happens after a time, you get this monster of a man up top, and you get these little itty-bitty chicken legs down at the bottom. (laughs) I'd present to you 
What is it that you're giving all of your time to? What are you spending all of your time on? What is transforming and rewiring your brains? What are you giving your time and your energy to? You want the Netflix and the Hulu and the HBO and the Prime and the CNN and the Fox and the Instagram and the Facebook and the TikTok and the YouTube and the sports teams and the video games and the hobbies and the hiking and all this stuff. And we, we sacrifice hours and hours of our lives to these things every day. And I'm not even saying necessarily any of those are necessarily evil or bad, but spiritually all the while, your prayer life and getting in God's word and getting into church and serving and loving the saints and reading and learning and discipleship and meditating on his mercies and in worship and singing. You're like the bro skipping leg day. Have you become content being conformed and transforming by everything but God's word? Can you spot the disproportion in your spiritual life? I'll let you and the Lord wrestle with that, okay? The Lord wants to renew you and transform you here. He's given us a book. God has spoken. He he did not need to do that. God has given us his word. Every word of God proves true. It will change you. It will transform you. But how serious do you believe that? your heart, your mind, your body, your soul. God speaks to you here. He teaches, he comforts, he corrects. Here, are you coming to his word to transform you or are you skipping it day after day for more desirable things? So all of this today, verses one and two, it's really just a summary statement about everything that's going to follow through the rest of this letter to the church in Rome and to the church here, the Rock Church. Next week, we'll continue to unpack what it looks like for the Christian to be the most punk rock and rebellious, non-conforming, living sacrifices in a world that is spiraling out of control. So may God help us and daily rescue us from our spiritual stagnation and transform us by the power of his word as we daily come to him and experience his great mercies. And may it be true of us. As the band's coming up here, I'm going to pray in just a moment. We sing this song. We're not singing it tonight. But you guys sing the song, Give Me Jesus, a whole lot. And it sounds beautiful. I love singing and playing that song with you. You say it all the time. I'm asking if you really believe it. You can have all the world. Give me Jesus. May that be true. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. It is truth. Every word of God proves true. Lord, I ask that your sons and your daughters would receive your word today, that we would take our faith seriously. We would take what we think seriously. We would take what we do and don't do with our bodies seriously. And we would be people fully dependent on your mercies daily to get us through every moment to get us through every temptation and every trial, to walk with us in every burden and fear and to guide us and comfort us in our grief, in our loneliness, in our sadness. In all of these ways, Jesus, you draw near to us. You speak to us here. We have the comfort of you and your word and your Holy Spirit. So Lord, would you help us to believe that? 
Would you help us to walk in that? Lord, I pray for the punk rock rebellious Christians in this room that you would light them up with a fire and a passion to be bold for you. We need your help to do that. And we say that in your name, Jesus. Amen.